Are we secure in our salvation or is it possible that we can lose it? We're going to discuss that today on BibleStudyPodcast.org starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again. I want to thank you for tuning in. This is Toby with BibleStudyPodcast.org, and today is Wednesday, May the 16th. And of course, every Wednesday we talk about apologetics or current issues. And if you'll remember back to last week, we did a Q&A session, and I had asked you guys to send in your questions. And one question that I got from actually a few of you was pertaining to the assurance of of salvation. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. I would have answered it last week, but I wanted to actually devote an entire podcast to the subject just because, first of all, it's very important to all of us and to anyone who has ever accepted Christ. This is a critical issue. Can we lose our salvation or can't we? And not only that, but what about loved ones? What about people whom we love who, you know, we've watched them backslide and maybe, you know, their salvation was brought into question and that was a cause of concern for us. So I wanted to address that today, but first I wanted to remind you that yesterday Matt started his study on alleged Bible contradictions, and you can download that on iTunes, or you can go to the website and stream it from there for free, or download it, or however you want to play it. We just hope that you're blessed by it, of course. I also wanted to thank all of you who have been sending in your questions. I am trying to get to you guys, uh, but I've, I've actually had you know quite a few questions in the last week, especially since the Q&A show, and I, I will get back to you. It just might take me a little bit of time, because this week I've got a summer school class, and that is four and a half hours every night and eight and a half hours on uh, on Saturday. So yeah, my, my plate is a little bit full this week, but I have every intention of getting back to you, and thank you so much for sending in your questions and for trusting me enough that you would ask me for my opinion or my advice on uh, on such things. So thank you again so much for writing me, and for anyone out there who wants to write me with, with questions or if you just want to tell me that this ministry has blessed you or whatever you need, you can go to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. That's plural, BibleStudyPodcasts.org. And up at the top, you can click on contact, and that will send me an email. And I will get back to you as quickly as I possibly can. Thank you so much for your patience. Anyway, without any further ado, uh, let's go ahead and get started here. But I'd like to start us off with just a quick word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are and for being worthy of our praise. Lord, we thank you so much that you have loved us enough that you would humble yourself and become a man and come down to to pay the price for our sins. Lord, help us today to understand more clearly your plan of salvation, Lord. Help us to understand your love for us. And my prayer, Lord, is that it would cause us to have just a deeper appreciation for you and for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are just a couple basic fundamental things that I want to get out of the way here before we actually delve into the Bible verses. First of all, let's take this from a logical perspective. Either we have eternal security or we don't. Either we can lose our salvation or we can't. It can't be both. It can't be a case where we have eternal security, but we don't. 
and that is just that's called the law of non-contradiction. Uh, you know, you you can't affirm opposites, and so when one verse appears to be uh, saying that yes, you can lose your salvation, and another verse says no, you can't lose your salvation. Obviously, you know there might appear to be a discrepancy, but we don't believe that the Bible contradicts itself because something that contradicts itself can't be true. We believe that the word of God is true because God is true. And so whenever you have a case where, you know, verses seem to be saying opposite things, you have to resolve that apparent discrepancy. You're misunderstanding one verse or the other if you're if you're understanding them to mean opposite things. And secondly, we have to remember that what God revealed in Scripture is true today, because God doesn't change. So whatever the Bible says is still applicable today to our lives. So with those two things out of the way, let's go ahead and get into the Bible itself and see what the Bible says about uh, the security of our salvation. Now, let's go ahead and start with one of the passages which I feel is most convincing that uh, that salvation is secure, and that is found in 1 Corinthians 5, one through 5.5, 5. and let me just go ahead and read this for you. Paul writes, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife, that is, that a man is uh, having sexual relations with his father's wife. And continuing in verse 2 here, And you are puffed up, and and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together among with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved." in the day of our Lord Jesus. Now, what he is doing here is not okay with God. He is having sex with his father's wife, and this is strictly forbidden in the Old Testament law. If you turn to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 11, it says, If there is a man who lies with his father's wife, that is, has sex with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. So this is a sin that resulted in death. This was punishable by capital punishment. But what does Paul say here? Paul says that he's to be handed over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved. In the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, obviously, somebody who is living according to God's commands, living in the Spirit, is not going to be having sex with his father's wife. That's something that somebody who is backslidden is going to be doing. So this is obviously somebody who had absolutely no regard for God or for God's law, even though he was in the church of Corinth. He was a Christian. He had accepted the gospel of Jesus. And so what Paul is saying here is that he's going to be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus, although his flesh will be destroyed. Now, we're not exactly sure what that means for the for the flesh to be destroyed, but I would say that that's really irrelevant here. The fact is, it says that this guy who is worthy of capital punishment under Jewish law is going to be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, if it were possible for somebody to lose their salvation, this would be a perfect case 
of somebody who had definitely fallen away from their faith, but had they lost their salvation? It doesn't appear so. It does not seem as if this guy had lost his salvation because his spirit was ultimately going to be saved. The next verse I'll have us look at is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, which says, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, what this is saying is that the moment that we receive the gospel, the moment we accept it, we are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And what's the significance of being sealed? Well, in Old Testament times, when the king made a decree, when the king brought a law to pass, he sealed it. And by doing so, it could not be broken. And so what this is saying is that God's promise cannot be broken. He has sealed the Holy Spirit in us when we receive the gospel, and that cannot be broken. It is a promise that is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Or let's take an example from the Old Testament. How about the book of Hosea, where the Lord comes to his prophet Hosea and says, go and marry Gomer. And of course, Gomer turns out to be a harlot. She commits adultery against Hosea. And what does this symbolize? It symbolizes Israel's unfaithfulness, their spiritual adultery with God. And what does God tell Hosea to do? He says, remain faithful to her, just as I will remain faithful to Israel. Now, Israel had backslidden. Israel was committing spiritual adultery against God, just like Gomer was committing adultery against Hosea. And God instructed him, remain faithful to her. Take her back because she is still your wife. So whenever we commit spiritual adultery to God, he remains faithful to us. And where else do we see this? We find this in the New Testament as well, in 2 Timothy 2.13, which says, uh, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And this is based on the same type of thing. You know, when we accept the gospel, we become the bride of Christ. And what did God say about, uh, about marriage? He said, two shall become one. So when we accept the gospel, when we become the bride of Christ, we become one with him in a spiritual sense. So because he's one with us, once we've accepted him, for him to deny us before the Father would be to deny himself because he is part of us once we accept the gospel. Another verse that we can look at is Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, which says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I realize that that is taking this verse a little bit out of context because that verse wasn't, uh, wasn't referring to salvation at all. But what does this say about God's character or his nature? It says that he will complete what he begins. God will finish what he begins. And what is that based on? That's based on God's infallible foreknowledge. If God knows the future and he knows that we're going to fall away and it's possible for us to lose our salvation, then why would he begin the process of sanctification in us if it's not going to be completed? If he knows from the beginning that we're going to fall away, why would he waste his time with us if we're only going to be falling away in the end? That doesn't make any sense at all. So based on God's foreknowledge, we can say that we are secure in our salvation. 
Romans 6.23 says, For the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, don't miss the fact that Paul just called salvation a free gift of God. But now, that's what Romans 6.23 says. Now turn to Romans 11.29, which says, God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. He won't take it back because it's irrevocable. If salvation is a gift, and it is, and if God's gifts are not taken back, and they're not, then our salvation is secure. But let's also look at Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 35 through 39. I'm, I'm going to skip a little bit here, but uh, you can read it for yourself. Chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then skip down a little bit. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of his unconditional love for us, God will not let anything come between him and his children. And once we accept the gospel, once we have salvation, we are his children. God won't let anything interfere with that. He says nothing. How about backsliding? He says nothing. How about falling away? No, nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus. Now, you'll notice that there's something significant from the Bible that I haven't gotten into yet. I haven't mentioned any teachings of Jesus. Did Jesus affirm the security of believers? I believe he did. Let's get into that. In John 3.18, Jesus says, Whoever believes in him, that is in, in Jesus, in the Son of God, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Now, what sense can we make of this? If it were possible for a person to lose their salvation, wouldn't it have made a lot more sense for Jesus to say, whoever believes in him and continues to believe in him until they die is not condemned, or something along those lines? No, he's saying whoever believes in him, whoever accepts the gospel is not condemned. And this is reiterated in John five twenty four, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. And I can assure you that Jesus never talks about, he never, never, never mentions crossing over from life to death. So what we can get from this is those who truly believe now can be certain that they will be in heaven later. They have received their place in heaven. Everlasting life isn't everlasting if we can lose it. Eternal life isn't eternal if it only lasts for a time. John 6:37 says, "Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away." And then down in verses uh, 39 and 40, he says, "This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that every one who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day." Jesus says that everyone who believes now in him will be resurrected to life on that day. And also we can't miss the fact that he says he will never lose anyone given to him by the Father. 
So what does this say in essence? It says, believe now and you are saved forever. And then down in John 10, 27 and 28, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Why can't anybody be snatched out of his hand? Well, because we're not only saved by his unlimited love, but we're also kept there by his unlimited power. No one no one can take us out of his hand. Is there any implication that we can take ourselves out of his hand? No, nobody can take us out of his hand once we are in it. Now, these are just a few of the verses that I've covered here that uh, that cover eternal security and the security of salvation for the believer. But there are also several verses which seem to indicate that we can lose our salvation. And I want to look at a couple of those, a couple of the more significant ones, just very quickly here and see if we can make sense of them. Because remember, I said that if one verse seems to be saying that we can lose our salvation and another verse says that we can't, one of them has to be wrong. So I think I've given you know plenty of evidence that there are verses which indicate uh, that we cannot lose our salvation. But let's look at some of the ones that people use to uh, to imply that we can somehow lose our salvation and see if we can make any other type of sense out of those verses. The first one I want to look at is from Matthew seven twenty two and 23, because these are the words of Jesus also. And we just mentioned all the teachings of Jesus, which tell us that there is eternal security, that there is eternal uh, assurance of salvation for believers. But Matthew seven twenty two twenty three says, uh, Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. And in spite of what these people are doing, they're, you know, they're driving out demons, they're performing miracles. It's very clear from this passage that these people never had salvation to begin with because Jesus says, I never knew you. So were these people ever in Jesus's hand to begin with only to be taken out? No, these people were never even known by Jesus. So this verse does not indicate that we can lose our salvation. Or what about Matthew twenty four thirteen, which says, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And Matthew 10:22 says, you know, essentially the same thing. It says, all men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And a lot of people have said, you know, this means that you have to remain in your faith, that you have to persevere with your faith if you want to receive salvation. And here's the thing. Those verses just show that perseverance is a sign of salvation, not a condition of it. And and second of all, the verse, you know, 24:13 if we take it into context, it's talking about the tribulation at the end of the age. But nonetheless, you know, however you take these verses, it still doesn't disprove eternal security or the assurance of salvation. But instead, it just affirms that the elect will persevere since they are God's chosen people. And here's another verse that trips people up. And actually, when Angie, my friend on MySpace, wrote me and asked me about this question last week, she said, if our salvation is eternally secure, why does the Bible warn so strongly against apostasy? And that uh, that question actually comes from 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, which says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings have come through hypocritical liars whose 
consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. But here's the thing about that verse. That verse isn't necessarily talking about believers who abandon their faith. This was in the later times. So obviously it didn't even apply to believers back when Paul was writing this. But no, this is a this is in reference to later times. Let's take today as being the later times, for example. We have churches who are allowing homosexuals to be in the pulpit. We have churches who are allegorizing the whole Bible. We have churches who are saying that everybody gets salvation, whether they believe in Jesus or not. And these are all lies from the pit of hell. All of these things that we see in the church today are lies and this is what I think it's talking about here, is that the church is starting to teach some some crazy stuff these days, and the church itself is starting to apostatize. And those of us who are who hold to more traditional beliefs, who hold to a more orthodox view of Christianity, are becoming fewer and fewer and fewer. Even evangelical Christians these days, you never know what they believe. Ted Haggard, for example, you know, he believes that God is corporeal, that he has a body, that he is in a place. When he was asked by Barbara Walters on her Heaven special where Heaven is, he said that it was a a place somewhere way out in space and that that's where God is. That's where God reigns from. No, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He's in Heaven. He's also down here on Earth. He's on the throne, but he's also here with us today. The evangelical community has open theists who believe that God doesn't know the future. And that's kind of a scary thing, you know, that we don't even know who really, you know, holds to the orthodox view, the traditional view of who God is and what the Bible is. So I think that's what is being referred to in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Now, there's one more verse that I want to get out of the way here before we end this, because I am looking down now and seeing that we've gone a lot longer than I had actually planned to today. And that is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. And let me read this very quickly. It says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. So basically, if, if you were to, to take out the middle there, it says it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Now, first of all, we have to note, uh, you know, going back in the text a little bit here, that the writer, and, you know, we're not sure who the writer is, but he refers to his audience as beloved. And that's a term that would not be applicable to non-Christians. And let's make a couple notes here. Uh, They had experienced repentance, according to verse 6, which, you know, which tells us that they had salvation. They were enlightened uh, in verse 4. They had become partakers of the Holy Spirit, verse 4. They had tasted the good word of God, verse 5. They had experienced the powers of the age to come, uh, also in verse 5. And these people cannot be brought back to repentance. And I think what this verse is actually affirming is, well, why would it be impossible for somebody who has experienced all of these things to be brought back to repentance? See, that totally contradicts the whole nature of God as revealed in in Hosea, for example. Like I said, Israel had, you know, committed spiritual adultery, but God was willing to take her back. So what is this affirming? 
I think what it's teaching is that there is no need for somebody, even if they're backslidden, to re-repent because a person cannot get re-saved because once they repent, they are saved. And therefore, repentance is really a one-time thing. Do we need to repent of sins that we commit? Yes, we need to turn away from them. But do we need to get saved all over again? No, because the Bible teaches us that once we are saved, we are always saved. So really what this passage is telling us is not that a person loses their salvation, but you know they can lose their maturity, they can lose their growth. And if we take it into context, that's what this whole passage is right in the middle of. It's in a, it's in a passage about spiritual growth. We can backslide, but we cannot get saved again once we've already been saved because the act of being saved is final. If we backslide and can't be brought, brought back to repentance, then where's the grace? Where is God's love? Where is his forgiveness? The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, God, who is righteous and just, will forgive us. But you know, if you take this verse to mean that we can lose our salvation, then God is not forgiving and God is not graceful. So I think that uh, that this is a verse that has caused a lot of confusion, but I don't think this verse in any way, shape, or form indicates that we can lose our salvation. Now, that's all the time that we have for today. Uh, if you know of a verse that you would like to have addressed that seems to indicate that we can lose our salvation, go ahead and send that to me. Go to BibleStudyPodcasts.org, click on Contact, and send it to me, and I will answer it on another podcast This is a very critical issue. I want you guys to know that God loves you so much that he will never let you go. And he has promised that. God can't go back on his promises because of his nature. He knows the past just as well as he knows the future. So when he promises something, it is forever. But thank you all so much for listening today. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Of course, my prayer is that we all celebrate our salvation because it is the most wonderful gift that God ever could have given us. And we praise him and we thank him for that. Hallelujah. I will see you guys next week. God bless you. Keep your eyes on Jesus.